Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode is brought to you by The Signal. Are you looking for a total mind trip that will keep you guessing for hours? Then check out the new sci-fi thriller The Signal in theaters on June 13th. The Signal explores what happens to a group of college students on a road trip when they are mysteriously lured to the middle of a desert by a hacker. Suddenly, everything goes dark. When one of the students regains consciousness, he realizes he is in a waking nightmare. The film stars Lawrence Fishburne. Also rounding out the cast are Brenton Thwaites from Oculus, Olivia Cook from Bates Motel, and Sarah Clark from The Twilight Films. Marshall Fine of the Huffington Post says, The Signal is as imaginative of a sci-fi tale since District 9. The Signal is directed by William Eubank and opens up in select theaters on June 13th. To see the trailer of the film and find out more information, visit focusfeatures.com slash the underscore signal. Go see The Signal, opening in select theaters, June 13th. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. You guys, uh, we're doing a very special episode of the Nerdist Writers Panel uh, with our guest, Larry Zerner, a lawyer. Uh, hi. <laughs> hi. Thanks for being here, Larry. Um Thanks for having me. You uh, reached out to us to say, hey, how about we talk about law issues uh, that are uh, pertinent to writers? And I thought that would be extremely valuable as there are a lot of uh, writers with kind of a toe in the door who listen to this podcast. Sure. uh, Who who could probably use some free advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, you know, there, there are a lot of issues that, you know, people especially beginning writers worry about certain things that maybe they don't need to worry about or they don't worry about things that they ought to worry about. Right. Uh, and I felt like, you know, this is a great opportunity to get some guidance here. Um, we will be joined uh, by our old pal David Hudgens. I should say that right now, uh, who used to be a lawyer and is currently a writer. So I thought he would give us some perspective on that. Um, but before we jump in um, on the, the nitty gritty law stuff, um, Tell us a little bit about your background. You were once an actor. Yeah, I started out as wanted wanted to be an actor mm-hmm. and uh, had a small modicum of success. Uh, most known that thirty years ago, I played Shelley in Friday the Thirteenth Part Three and <laughs> gave Jason his hockey mask. So I got my one little toe in film history and then said, well, that Hollywood said, that's enough for you. <laughs> sure. That's enough. That's often Why don't you do something else with your life? Uh, and so where did law come from? Was this, all, was it in your family? Was it something you were always, always interested in? I was not always interested, but I come from a family of lawyers and mm-hmm. they said, why don't you go to law school? And I said, well, that'll be something to do while you're not acting. <laughs> and so went to law school and, and really loved it. And so I've been doing this for now 20, yeah. 23 years. So. Um, what, uh, especially as a young man, you're, you're a young man still. But even, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid transitioning from trying to be an actor to going to law school, um, what was it about the law that was appealing or that you found particularly challenging in a good way it's i love the puzzle solving of it i do a lot of litigation and and that's just a great i i really get into when i have a case and i'm trying to help somebody and figuring out how to do it how to do it in a cost-effective way because it's very expensive and 
and sometimes you're up against people who are usually you're up against people who have a lot more money than you do. So you really got to be um, going at it in in a smart way mm-hmm. um, because you can't you can't outspend them. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I love it. I love my clients, and and I exclusively work basically in, in the entertainment field, mm-hmm. representing writers and actors and producers and who have gotten ripped off and or need protection with contracts so they don't get ripped off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I love doing that. That's great. Um, I, since this is a writing podcast, I may as well ask, what is your relationship to writing as a lawyer? What, what is, uh, you know, are you, besides contracts or, you know, are you in court? Do you have to, do you write that stuff? Do you ever find yourself in court? Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in court. I mean, I'm, we're doing cases all the time that right. you're not necessarily in the courtroom, but your writing is a big part of my, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I spend all day in front of a computer writing, trying to persuade your, your, you write letters to get the other side to give you what you want or to back down. You're writing briefs for judges to get them to rule in your favor. So my whole day is, is, is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also maintain a blog where I write things so I can just get out. Mostly it's about legal issues for writers and, mm-hmm. and things that... Where can have, people find this? It's uh, called Copyrights and Wrongs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, there's a link from my website. Uh, or if you just Google my name, Larry Zerner blog or Zerner, right. Zerner Law, you'll find the blog. It's lots of good stuff there. Um, and, and what prompted the blog? I mean, clearly... You had probably been approached with the same kinds of questions over and over, and this must have started uh, you thinking about there There must be a way to get this information to writers and artists. That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I just wanted – you just want to get it out. You get – I get called – you know, every week I get calls from people with the same sort of questions over and over, and you just – they just want answers, and I want them to have the answers. I want writers, especially writers, to, to, to be – to understand if this is their business, the law is a big part of their, their, they need to know the contracts. They need to know rights. They need to know how not to, you know, libel someone and, and, and not to get into trouble. So I get the questions over and over again. I thought, you know, let's put it out there and Mm -hmm. and people can. I think, I think that's an important point to make that, you know, when you are a writer, when you are a working writer, there's as much business as there is craft. Yeah. You know, you really do need to become a business person in many regards. You know, what are what are some of the what are some of the big questions that you find uh, that writers face? Well, the first thing the the question I get more often is, you know, how do how do I protect my idea? Mm-hmm. I've come up with this idea, I've come up with this script, how do I protect it? Where do, where do I protect it? Um, so and the answer to that, I mean, the 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 number one thing that were just drives me crazy is that people is this thing with the WGA script registry, which the WGA puts it out there that they have this registry and this is the Hollywood standard. And I'm here to tell you, the WGA is only it they they should absolutely shut it down. It is not if you're listening to this and you're registering your scripts with the WGA, stop it, stop it. You have to register your scripts with the copyright office, and there's a there's some key reasons why. The number one reason is that if you file a lawsuit, if someone does infringe you, which is why you're registering it, 
if you have to have registered with the Copyright Office before any infringement took place in order to get either attorney's fees or statutory damages uh, in any in any trial. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I get calls all the time from people who said, I, I wrote this and now I want to sue them and I registered with the WGA and I go, okay, okay, we'll sue, but the film didn't make any money and it's a low-budget film, so you wouldn't have been paid that much. Maybe you would have made fifty grand. so those are your damages. But if we file a lawsuit, you, you can't get your attorney's fees back, and you can't get statutory damages, which can be up to $150,000 for willful infringement. So by, because you chose to register with the WJ instead of the Copyright Office, you are barred from getting those things. Hmm. So, and so... It's so important to register with the copyright office. Also, the WJ only last, registration only lasts for five years, yeah. um, and then you have to renew, which most people forget to do. Or, and I've had I had case where the the infringement occurred twenty years. I mean, the, the the access it was actually twenty years between the time the person saw the material and and, and actually stole it. Hmm. Um, so they hadn't, you know maintained all the all the renewals whereas the copyright office registration is good for well life plus 70 it's good till 70 years after you die so you know what so there's just no question that that and, and the, the other thing is by registering with the copyright office it's considered in legal terms prima facie evidence that you wrote it that what's on the certificate is true and so you don't have to prove that you uh you actually uh, wrote it. Whereas, if you're suing on a on a matter where um, you've been, uh, it's been ten years, and you have to, and you go, this is my script, and they go, well, prove it. And that sometimes is difficult. But sure. if you have a copyright registration, you don't have to. The copyright certificate alone is evidence of that. So, please register your scripts with the copyright office. It's, it's, Great. Yes. And I have some more questions about that. But hello, David Hudgens. Hello. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Hi. Uh, Hi. Please meet Larry. Hi, Larry. Hi. Great to meet you. We were just uh, getting into some things that writers can do to protect themselves, uh, things that beginning writers may not know about. Um, and, and Larry, you and, I, you and I were talking before, and uh, I was saying, you know, theft is not something I think about very much, um, especially coming in TV. I think things are... A little more straightforward, um, you know. Pitches, you're well. If you're getting into a room to pitch a TV show, you probably have representation, yeah. uh, and generally that can kind of protect you. You know, everything is sort of on the up and up. Um, but you said that you do see tend to see this with features. Well, I, I think there's a lot more claims of infringement than actual infringement. Mm -hmm. Uh, but just as example, just last week, uh, the producers of Orphan Black were sued. Mm -hmm. Someone claimed that they had pitched a clone show. Now, I don't know. I didn't read the stuff, so I don't know enough about the merits. But so the guy who said, I pitched a clone show and then Orphan Black came out, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he certainly. Oh, sure. I, and certainly those claims pop up. But I, I guess I'm curious about like. What is the process for this kind of theft happening? Happening in your experience, what have you seen? Where you know, if there someone pitched something twenty years ago and then the the theft happens twenty years later, you know who who is responsible? Where does where does the idea stealing come from? Well, I mean, 
when it happens, it doesn't happen as often as people think, but when it happens, I've seen egregious cases. I saw a case where the guy, my client had written the book and the other guy had had access to it and he just sort of took that book and as close as you can word for word make it into a screenplay, turned it into a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and that happens. And that screenplay was bought and... It was actually produced? turned into a television series, okay. and um, I don't want to go into what the sure. what the show was, but uh, it was a successful show, and mm-hmm. we filed a lawsuit and ended up, as we say, settling amicably on, mm-hmm. on that issue. Uh, but, it, 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 you know, so sometimes it's about writers who, uh, you know, they... They just take it. They, they're, mm-hmm. they're, it happens. I, it, it doesn't happen as much as I think it doesn't happen as much as people think. I think mostly new writers, they see something out there. I mean, I get stuff all the time, and it's like, there's a scene in Captain America where he's fighting two guys in masks, and I wrote a script where my hero is fighting two guys in masks, and they had to have taken that from me. It's like they, they're, sometimes they just have, it's like they've never seen another movie in their life. You know, mm-hmm. no, no idea. And in and, and, and copyright law, we have a, there's a term called scenes affair, which are the tropes of certain movies. So you can't sue because, so in a vampire movie, vampires have, you know, they don't, you can't be reflected in the mirror and they have crosses and garlic and they turn into bats and they suck their blood. And those are all scenes of fare of a vampire movie. And so nobody could, uh, could claim that those were, those were in both movies. So therefore, uh, those are elements of infringement. You have mm-hmm. to filter all those out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but then how small and specific can you actually get? You know, if I go see Captain America and, you know, there's some concept in there, there that, I claim to have used in a screenplay years ago. It's not to do with the majority of the plot. It's not to do with a specific scene, but, you know, some small idea. It's, it's you know, I came up with midichlorians before George Lucas did. Maybe I didn't call it that, but... Right. Well, the, the test for, for copyright infringement is substantial similarity, and I think that's where people uh, get confused. They, they see similarity, and I see a lot of scripts where there's similarity, mm-hmm. but the courts really want to see substantial similarity. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be similarity, not just of one little piece, but similarity of dialogue, of characters, of theme, mood, and sequence of events. Those are the six things okay. that the courts look at in a totality. And so if you have, there's a line from, you know, that that's the same, or there's a character that's similar, it's not going to be enough. It mm-hmm. really has to be, uh, a totality. I mean, there. I, I know there's a case a friend of mine had where the, involving the the TV show My Name Is Earl, and remember that has a very specific idea. And, and this mm-hmm. guy it had a movie with the pretty much the same premise: guy wins the lottery, he's a bad guy, gets hit by a car, decides to change his life, and go through this list of all the people and 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 you know help the people he hurt in his life. That's the very specific idea. Mm-hmm. And that was the idea behind My Name is Earl, and he had written it and sued, and the court said it plays out differently. Not That that alone wasn't enough. And there were, there were a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's tough. It's tough to, yeah. to win a case for, of copyright infringement. Um, I want to kind of walk through... Um, Stuff that kind that happens to you as a writer uh, as you start to make your way in the business. 
Um, you know, David, when we had you on the podcast before, we talked about, you know, how you transitioned from uh, law to writing. Um, but let's let's kind of look at those steps from we, we talked about it as a writer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, <clears throat> wrote a script and someone read it and someone liked it. And then you get hired. But let's talk about uh, it from the other perspective. You know, what needs to be done as far as like we were talking about registering a script or making sure that when you hand that script to someone, they're not going to run away with it and things like that. Uh, and then options and contracts and things like that. Well, I guess from a writer's standpoint, you know, the first thing is don't steal. <laughs> don't take somebody else's. Think of your own ideas. You know, people ask a lot of times, where do you get your ideas? My friend Michael Green, who's a writer, always says, well, I think of them. And that's right. Think of your own ideas. So I always tend to approach things from the standpoint of I'd like to, you know, think up my own idea. Now, <clears throat> having said that, and I work in television mostly, um, there's not a day goes by that somebody doesn't pitch you an article or a book or an idea or something. Um, you know, the hot thing right now in town is IP, intellectual property. Everybody wants to have an IP on a project. It gives it this patina of legitimacy. Um, wow, those are some big words. <laughs> That's uh, what we're doing here. It's a different kind of panel today. <laughs> but so, you know, you sort of learn your way. I, I will say starting out, um, I would read an article or I would see something and I would get inspired and I would immediately think I would love to do a version of that. And I would think, but can I do it? You know, is it legal to do that? What are the legal sort of pitfalls uh, of approaching the material? And as you go on in your career and you become, you know, hopefully more successful, you have people around you that will guide you like attorneys uh, and other people. But when you're starting out, you know, I, I can't think of any other advice other than just don't take somebody else's idea. I think, and I'm going to ask the expert sitting across from me, I, I took copyright, second year of law school, and I remember one <laughs> idea, which is um, it's not the idea that's protectable, it's the expression of the idea. Is correct. that correct? That is, that is how so we say it. when you went back to Scenes Affair, um, a chill went down my spine because <laughs> I um, – there's good news and bad news to this small story. The good news is, uh, the bad news is I got sued. The good news is I got sued, right? Uh, my attorney told me, he said, that, well, you're nobody in this town until you finally get sued. Um, Great. And <laughs> it was exactly the scenario that you were talking about where a guy, I, I had done a show, and I'll, I'll say the show, it was called Past Life, um, which was based on a book for Warner Brothers for Fox. And um, this individual filed a lawsuit claiming that I had read a script and stolen it hmm. and sued me in federal court along with multiple various other defendants, you know, studios, networks. I mean, I wasn't the deep pockets, believe me. It was these big people he was going for. I will say it was completely meritless. Um, I had never met him. I had never read his script. I was outraged. I was, you know, I was angry. I was very upset to the point where my lawyer started to think it was cute. And I said, look, there's not somebody writing in, you know, in a lawsuit that you stole, that you're, th and I didn't do it. Um, but after they calmed me down and talked me off the ledge, they did. And this is kind of hopefully not so too boring legal mumbo-jumbo. But basically, they filed a motion. I don't think it was for summary judgment. Maybe it was to dismiss the complaint saying, Your Honor, these scripts are not substantially similar. And the judge— That'd be a summary judgment. There you go. The judge, to his credit, went through um, each of the—went went through the, the script that I did and the script that this hmm. plaintiff had done— 
you know, line by line and made an analysis exactly like you're talking about. Is there are there similarities in tone, mood, character, blah, 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 and concluded no. And so the lawsuit got, you know, thrown out. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I was protected because I had written it, you know, as a work for hire. So the studio paid for the lawyer right. to defend me. But there were people included in the lawsuit that did not have lawyers provided for them that had to come out of pocket to defend against these claims. Hmm. So I don't know what the moral of that story is other than I remember when I was practicing law and I would sometimes have to call clients I was representing to tell them they had been sued and they would be very upset, you know, about the allegations against them. I say, look, anybody can sue you for anything. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's right or it has merit. I guess that's kind of my question. Like, how how does it even get to that point where you do have to go get a summary judgment on it? Like, isn't there? Isn't well, there when a the way sheriff to shows up at your down? door and hands you a lawsuit, it gets your attention. <laughs> sure, uh, b- believe me. But you know, in this particular case, there's a thing called Rule 13 in federal court, which requires an attorney to do a, a basically due diligence to investigate his claims. Mm-hmm. Right? They had no idea who I was. They just saw this. You know, I had never met this person. And that was my, I, you know, I was talking about counterclaims for malicious prosecution, whatever. And again, I was I was overreacting. But, but you know, I think that a good attorney will reasonably investigate his case. Mm-hmm. And there are instances where it happens, like you were just talking about. And I think in those cases, it's a good check and balance on the system. You know, you sh- somebody shouldn't be able to steal your idea. You should be protected if you go in and you pitch the next, I don't know, whatever hit movie, mm-hmm. and they say, thanks, newbie, get out of here and turn around and give it to somebody. I mean, I think that's a good thing to have protections in place for that. Um, but again, I, you know, from a writing standpoint, all I can say is, you know, don't take somebody else's idea. And then if and then there's a whole sort of separate issue that comes into play for me now, which is when you want to do shows that involve living or dead people and you have to worry about mm-hmm. life rights, et sure. cetera. Maybe that's a different topic. But yeah, and I have to say that when, when people call me to do a case, I am very cognizant of the fact that there is another writer who I am accusing of theft. And so I I will do months of background research mm-hmm. before I take on a case to make sure that I don't wrongly accuse someone because I understand how that that person has feelings too. And I don't, I don't want to file a lawsuit, even if I could win because I can make a, a BS claim if I'm accusing someone mm-hmm. wrongly. So, so – I, I'm, I'm very or waste your time, right? I mean, well, that's you know, <laughs> you know well, what I mean. True. It's it's like yeah, why would you I'm, want to go down the road investing all your time and energy and money in something unless you believed it to be uh, accurate and true? Absolutely. So. But sometimes you don't know. It, it's hard. You don't know whether where the whether that person took it or not because you can't. Mm. You don't get to talk to them in advance and go, "Hey, David, did you did you ever see this script?" I mean, you don't you don't get that until you get your deposition taken, right? And then you know they're going to say no anyway, so it doesn't. You have to go, is there enough evidence of access? Because mm-hmm. one of the things you have to prove, not just the similarity, is that they had access to your script. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going to ask. I mean, using your story as an example, once you say, I've never seen this script, and presumably you can prove that somehow, um, is it that the... the uh, the accusers are coming after the studio, the network, whatever other entities it is, because at that point, I would think you as a writer are kind of out of it. Well, I, it goes to exactly what you just said. I don't think they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the allegation in this case was, I think, that I had been in the same uh, building where they had been talking about an idea within like 18 months of each other or something. So I guess they presumed that the people we talked to 
I, I don't know what they I, I don't know what they were claiming, believe me, because I had never met the guy right. or heard of him or seen the script. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Usually the, yeah. usually the claim is that they had they had submitted the script to the producer mm-hmm. or to the network. And so then there's a pres- presumption that, well, then the network gave it to David, even though David denies it. I mean, obviously, David can't prove the negative. But I've had people call me and I go and I go, you know, well, how do you think they got your script? And they go. Oh, they must have hacked my computer. You know? <laughs> I get that a lot, and it's like totally okay. reasonable. <laughs> yes, obviously, that's what Hollywood is doing. They're, right. they the NS, they're using the NSA to hack your computer to find your script. Well, it's people watching too many movies. Uh, or they, they went to the copyright office and, you know, they're right. blindly reading <laughs> copyrights, uh, uh, you know. Um, I want to shift gears uh, a little bit here. Uh, one of the... Stranger things I had to do, you know, after getting a manager, after getting an agent, was hire a lawyer to, you know, be my representative to read contracts when I would get hired somewhere. Um, let's can, can you guys walk us through this process? Uh, it's it's an interview process, sort of like an agent or sort of like a manager, but but different too. Um, what are the questions that a new writer who is looking to bring on a lawyer? Full time, you know, to be represent this writer. Um, what are the questions that he or she should be asking? Well, I guess, I guess, in most cases, um, I think uh, an aspiring or you know starting out writer's first experience with an attorney is probably when they want to option a piece of material. It's the first time that you actually need a lawyer to look at a mm-hmm. document that is going to bind you in some way. That is, I mean, that is definitely a situation where you want a lawyer. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that you handwrite your own option agreements or anything like that without legal representation. <laughs> so that's a good way to do it. I, from a personal standpoint, I, my criteria were very simple. It's like, is he or she honest? And do I like them? You know, uh, will they return my phone calls? I mean, you know, when you get on, when you get along in television, um, and I've been with the same lawyer for my whole career, and he was actually recommended to me by my agent. So when I got signed by my agent, they said, "Oh, you need to go talk to this person. He, he's a good, he's a good lawyer." And I've I've been with him ever since. Um, so and he's he's at a large firm, and so I never there was never really an interview process. It was more, it was more like congratulations, you need a lawyer, right? Um, and here's one, right. and I met him and liked him, and, and yeah. ended us. I don't really know of any questions. I mean, you might want to ask how they expect to be compensated. You know, yeah. I mean, what's what's reasonable? Well, normally they're taking five percent, right? Mm-hmm. So do that, they ever do it contractually? I mean, do, I mean, by the hour, I'll work on the say. hour. I mean, if someone wants to be by the hour, I'm happy to do if it. Somebody said, "Will you look at this option agreement for me and and, and give it the yeah. once over, sure. and I'll pay your hourly." Okay, sure. yeah. We thing that just popped into my head, if, if I may say this, is lawyers are, are are interesting to me because it's sort of like you don't really think about them or how uh, valuable they are until you need them, and when you need them, you need them. You know, if whether it be your negotiating a deal or, um, you know, I recently uh, renegotiated my deal. And of course, my attorney was very involved because when you get into, especially in overall agreements, I mean, there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of definitions about back-end profits, you know, that I would, that they know what the current state of the market is on that. So when you need a lawyer, you better have a good one because they can make all the difference in the world. And my experience has also been that Certain attorneys, I mean, everybody has a reputation that a good attorney, you know, will 
will speak well for they're part of your team mm-hmm. they're part of your creative team so it does it does make sense to to take some time and care in deciding who you're going to work with mm-hmm. yeah and you you, you want to make sure that because like you said but usually you don't even know that you don't know that something how good he is because He's he's taking care of it in advance. What what happens when and where you get involved litigation is because there's something that wasn't thought of, and the the other side came up with some way to get around what you thought was a deal. I mean, I, I just represented some producers, and they produced a movie, and the deal was that they made a sequel. They would be hired and to do the sequel, and the company put out a movie, part two, and they said. We said, where's our money? And they said, it's not a sequel. And they said, we said, what are you talking about? He says, well, it's not, it's a sequel in name only. It's not, no, no characters. It doesn't meet the writer's guild definition of sequel, which it didn't. Yeah. But we're like, these are, these are producers. You're putting out a part two. And, you know, right. but no one had thought of, look at how, what a creative way those guys <laughs> right. thought of to screw my clients out of, out of their money. So, That's you, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, I, I guess that is a, a good question. I mean, the, the lawyer needs to be thinking of all of these things that the writer or producer or whomever and, is and not. And that's why the contracts are so long. When people yeah. go, "Why is this contract twenty five, thirty pages?" Because the lawyers are going, "Well, I had this situation, so I got to put that clauses right. and now." And now my sequel definition is a lot longer than it yeah. used to be because that's it doesn't right. just say sequel. It's like, right. let me ask you though, how much of those contracts are garbage? You can be honest with us. Like, how much is just like filler? It's it's there in case most of those things, just like anything, most of those things will never rise. I I say this all the time. There are guys in Hollywood you can deal with on a handshake and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And there are guys you can have a hundred page contract and they will screw you. Hmm. That that is just the nature of, you know, and I think some of them know who some of those people are. But, you know, the good guys are good guys and the bad guys We'll screw right. you. Because, we'll find a way anyway. Well, because, you know, there's still when you get down to the accounting, you're not going to be there. Right. If you've got to be auditing for every every dime, it's just it's just horrible. Mm-hmm. It's just it's draining and time-consuming, and you don't want to be dealing with that. So, really, you want to try and deal with people, you know, who you don't have to. And if you don't have to deal with certain companies, they're, you know, you just go, I'm not selling you my script mm-hmm. because I don't trust that I'll – or I'm taking the money up front. That's why I always, you know, you try to get the money up front mm-hmm. – the yeah. back end, you know. Which, yeah, we've all, I think we've all heard for years, especially for writers, is get paid as much as you can up front because that accounting is so precarious and yeah. so uh, right. subjective. Right. If you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a big hit and I'm going to get paid on the back end, and yeah. no, take your money up front. <laughs> or use box office bonuses, which is much... What is that? That's where it says, you know, so if, if Variety says the movie made, when it makes $50 million, mm-hmm. you get a bonus, makes... Hundred million dollars, you get a bonus. All right, you don't have to. You don't have to go into the accounting. It's like, okay, it's made a hundred million dollars. Give me mm-hmm. my money. That's that's simple. Mm-hmm. So I like I like box office bonuses. Uh, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't heard that in a while. Um, let me ask you guys uh, something that occurs to me about kind of covering yourself. This is a thing of TV specifically. Um, ideas get thrown around in a writer's room, and a writer who, even the creator of the show, but a writer who is not necessarily the creator may not be with the show for the life of that show. 
Uh, is it fair to say that anything presented in the writer's room is fair game down the line, even if it, you know, lasts longer than the writer who pitched it? That's a very interesting question. I, you know, I think so. I think if you pitch it while you're on a show, it belongs to the people you're working for, correct? Well, technically, right, everything said as a work for hire is, is owned by them. But, I mean, if you're saying, I pitched an idea, like, you're you're doing a... Season one, and they're doing it in season five, and I'm no mm. longer on the show. Is that what you're... Yeah, that that's the idea. Yeah, I, I think if you They pitch, paid you for it. Yeah, they paid you for it. It is fair game. It is fair game. I mean, what comes up in the writer's room more often now, um, and it's interesting because NBC, where, I, where I've been uh, for a long time, just started just change the policy. What, what comes up is, you know, a lot of writers will pitch stories from their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And by the time the script gets written and it gets to legal and it's going through the process, you know, the person reviewing the script doesn't know that this story about, you know, somebody's crazy aunt who is, you know, a cross-dressing murderer is actually a real person in the writer's life. So now the writers, at least on the shows that I've been on, we have to sign a form for every episode that you write where you tell them, is there anybody in this script that you oh, know wow. or, you know, or is it... Um, and it all came from a case. Do you know the case? Are you familiar with the case where somebody wrote about some real estate agents and they were real and, and it got yeah. very specific? So, so was it Law and Order? CSI. CSI. No, at least when we were when we were being briefed, mm -hmm. the idea is if you're in a TV room, you can't just and you have a, you know, an axe to grind against your you know a person. You can't. Yeah essentially write about them in that way or they don't want you to or they That's want you to tell them that you're yeah. doing it it's interesting um, that they're covering now i mean that the network is covering but I thought, what they're doing is saying we want to be able to sue you yeah <laughs> that's what the network's doing because you told right. us it wasn't right, right. so they're, they're just right. trying to that's right. what they're doing passing the buck but i think what's interesting about that case specifically um and this is something that we wanted to talk about too which is that kind of libel and defamation yeah um that, you know, the script that that writer wrote using the names of these real estate people and um, was not the shooting script. It was like a first draft that somehow got out there, uh, which makes right. it a, it a never, weird It was question never shot that way correctly. Yeah. But, but the, right. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't what, what, even. And what happened? Was the case still going on? I think it was settled. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for people who are writing about real events, you know, the Law and Order is a great example of how to do that. They mm -hmm. take the rip from the headlines and they make changes sufficiently to they change the names, they change the occupations, they change the race, gender, whatever. They keep the basic pr story. So you know, if they wanted to do a Chris Christie Bridgegate, they could do that mm -hmm. with. Uh, they keep you know, it thematically the same, right? So you sort of get what they're going exactly. for, but but it's not enough. They, I know they've been sued once, at least one time by really? somebody. But, I didn't realize that. Uh, but I, whether or not they, because yeah. and it was because it was a rip from the headlines. But mm -hmm. if you're writing about real stuff, in, unless it matters, I mean, you're writing about the OJ case, and mm -hmm. so you're it matters. But most of the time, it doesn't matter that it's a, you're just using these ideas. So you shouldn't be bound if you're writing it, if you don't want to get sued, change the names, change everything, keep the the, the basic things. Unless the, unless the selling point of the script right. is that it's a true story. The, 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 the real uh, lesson was the movie The Crush with Alicia Silverstone, mm -hmm. uh, which the guy who wrote it, the girl who actually lived, he was living in the guest house of some Beverly Hills thing and it's about and and, and Carrie always is the guy and then it turns out the girl who's 15 is like psychopath right 
he was living there was a girl mm. who lived in that house he used she had a very unusual name which I'm not f- remembering what it was mm-hmm. and That's he used right, her name <laughs> what for no right there's nothing that gives you in terms of selling that script it do, it's just like that was his name because like he's writing his, this fantasy about whatever right. and then when the movie came out she's they sued and now if you watch the movie they went back in they had to redub the take her name out so really? they redubbed all the dialogue to, to change her name that's to something nuts. else so it's so it, that's how that's how and and i just go what was and 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 they had to pay a, a lot of money sure. i don't know what it was but it was probably six figures probably seven figures to 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 get to get to get that out and it was no it didn't add to the script at all if you just just called her something completely different that's so crazy. So don't don't put your name like I know you have this old girlfriend and you're gonna put a crack horror character in there and you're gonna name her Mandy because you want to get back at her. Don't do it. In fact, just two days ago, there was a lawsuit over the movie What Maisie Knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronnie oh, yes, Blakely, the actress, said I said that was based on my life. Yeah. I was married to the screenwriter and. Her name is Ronnie yeah. Sue Blakely. The character is Susanna. So, yeah. and it's I, painting me as a bad mother. And stuff. right, yeah, and so this stuff happens. And again, uh, it, you know, and again, part of the claim is that he named it Sue, and her middle name mm-hmm. is Sue. And but so. if if he didn't name it Sue, name the character Sue, is there something there, or is this writer just doing what a writer does, and you know, filtering the world into fiction? There, there's one case from Georgia where it was called the Red Hat Red Hat, something about the Red Hat mm-hmm. you can Google it, uh, where somebody sued, they weren't named, but there was enough descriptive elements in there to to make the claim that people understood it was them. The test in libel is uh, of, quote, of and concerning, unquote. Mm-hmm. So can you make the claim that people will identify that person as you? Mm-hmm. So you really want to make sure that people can't. So change as much as you can while keeping the, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a man, make it a woman. If they're white, make them black. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can do to to not, to stay away from that because I don't think it affects the integrity of the, the story itself. It shouldn't. Yeah, that makes sense. It shouldn't. They, you know, just flip, changing perspective on it, I, um, I was involved in adapting a documentary into a scripted drama series. Hmm. So this exact scenario came up where what was so interesting to me about the documentary was the people that were in it. (laughs) And so when I'm creating the scripted version of the show, you know, the first time I sent my pages in, the lawyers called and they said, this is great, this is great, but you need to, it's too, it's still too similar to the people in the documentary. Exactly. Changing it from a man to a woman, from a 60-year-old man to a 20-year-old. That that wasn't an example. But it was essentially you need to make ch- – and it got to a point where the changes became – and I understood why they were needed. I, I got – and I went in with my eyes w- wide open into this project knowing that this was going to be part of the process. But we got to a point where the characters had changed so much that I felt like it was no longer creatively interesting. Hmm. It was like, you know, we're losing all the cool elements mm-hmm. of what makes this story great. If maybe that's why Maybe that's yeah. why they shot it as a documentary. <laughs> so anyway, we ended up not doing it um, because it just became... T- it was like, I'd rather just start from whole cloth and create a completely different show. Yeah. So there are challenges on the creative side anytime you are writing about real people. I have wanted to write about an unnamed major sports league for my entire career, um, which is notoriously difficult, and rightfully so. They're very protective of their product. Um, and there are so many hurdles legally that are now, that you must now surmount 
and all of them are because of experiences that this league has had being sued by people in the past. And so you get to the point where it's just not worth it and you need to fictionalize, which gets you to the creative point of, well, is it going to be any good? Right. If, if I'm, if I, it's not going to feel. You want real. the weight of that history yeah. of that team or whatever. It yeah, is. yeah, exactly. It's, it's like if you saw the Los Angeles um, Diggers, you know, it just it, there's there's no. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of a minefield, honestly. I've I, in well, my then you get into, you get into trademark issues What's too up? because. That was the the Oliver Stone movie on any Sunday I was just watching, and they had to make up. It's not you know make up na- team names, yeah. so it, it's just ridiculous. And then, but in draft day, they got NFL cooperation, so they're using all the, the real teams, and it gives a lot more. Sometimes you you need that. You do, yeah. and, and you know the the sort of deal you make with the devil in that situation is. Good news, the NFL is involved. Um, uh, difficult news is they're going to want essentially final say, you know, on mm-hmm. what you do. So, I mean, I just think that's a decision that you get faced with as a writer or a creator at some point. It's like how, you know, how how you know what hill are you going to die on? I mean, the very small version of it is when I first started in television, it used to drive me crazy that every product was generic. You know, mm-hmm. you couldn't. I, I would write, a, you know, a dialogue. Effort meets a bowl of Cheerios. And it would come back. <laughs> Can't be Cheerios. Has to be cereal. It's like, but that's dumb. Nobody says, well, you know. So people, I guess that's a trademark issue, or it's really a licensing issue. Well, that's because that's because of network. Networks don't want to put Cheerios. They don't want the writer to go. It's Cheerios because they might be sponsored by the other, you know, a right. competitor. By, so by that, a competitor. They don't right. want you say right, sure. drink a Coke because Pepsi's sponsoring the show. There's nothing illegal. I just wanted for a writer, you can put whatever you want mm-hmm. in your script. That's network. Bullshit. Right. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's nothing. I know that. Yeah, if you show someone drinking a Coke, that's not a. <coughs> there's no claim uh, Coke can make right. for that. And, and what if you show them drinking a Coke and throwing up and saying that's the worst thing I've ever tasted? <laughs> that's good too. That's fine. really. That's First Amendment. Wow. What if you think Coke is the worst thing you ever tasted? I mean, it's, why isn't that protected? Right. For, but for the network's not going to let you do that because then they lose all their Coca-Cola advertising. Right. right, and right. and but you can write it in your if you're writing first of all if you're writing network you're under different constraints mm-hmm. for for if you're writing a spec script you can say he's writing a, a coke and and yeah. he throws it up now the producer may change that later down the mm-hmm. road but they know they can they, you can get the point across or you can do what uh, Quentin Tarantino does and create Big Kahuna Burger right. and then you have your own chain that you can, uh, <laughs> treat however you want as soon as the writing dries up but you they get did to open but he did talk about Burger King right yeah, there's no right true. we can talk about Burger King and that is kind of the nice thing about <laughs> a, a spec script is and this is where a lot of our listeners are is you do have that freedom so you could write about the sports team and still have the way of the history behind it. No one's going to make that script, but they don't have to. I mean, you're using it as a sample. You're using it to get the job. Or does it work? The question is, the producer will make is, right. does it work if I change it? Exactly. If I take out the, 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 the real elements yeah. and fictionalize it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, just the never mind defaming someone in your script, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, this these are all... Film and TV, these are collaborative media. Uh, and you are going to work with people who are terrible, and you are going to work with people who are great. Uh, and if I work with someone who is terrible and say I'm never going to work with that person again and then tell everyone I know that I think that person's terrible, you know, what? how careful do we have to be as producers as well as writers? Well, there's not a lot. I mean, I mean reputation is important in this business. Right, well... 
the question is, are you saying something uh, uh, provably, demonstrably false, or are you just giving an opinion on... Mm-hmm. I mean, if you say someone's terrible, that's not defamation, because it's not... Pro- it's not... A, as opposed to saying someone is... They can't write. Mm-hmm. That... That's where you get. So you, right. if you say something, they can't do their job. Mm-hmm. That's. Well, I think that's get, what what I'm getting at is you know. Yeah, you can. It, is it is it possible you could be sued for that? It's possible. I haven't heard of many libel lawsuits from. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it happens in employers saying you know someone gets fired and they go how yeah. you know someone else calls and wants a, a, a recommendation and or wants a, a reference and then you go, you have to be careful on what you say uh, because people do sue and so. I mean, in reality, you should be protected because you're saying your your truth, but mm-hmm. someone can use that to sue you, and you sometimes you just don't want the headache, even though you might prevail in the end. Mm-hmm. So what could bring you a lawsuit is um, it's just sometimes not worth it. So mm-hmm. you just may be, eh, you know, eh, I wouldn't hire them again. Right. <laughs> That's, you don't have to go out of your way to. There's a lot of ways of, reputation. Of, 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 yeah, to go. Uh, you know, wasn't too sad to see him go. You mm-hmm. know, I heard a showrunner talk on a panel once, and he said that the way he answers that question is, "Who else are you looking at?" <laughs> That's great. That you is know, because it is a tricky situation. Absolutely. Um, you know. So. Yeah, there are there are other people I'd look at first. Mm-hmm. Is, is probably a, well, the, you know, the other thing that comes up, and I, and again, I'm not trying to make this so TV focused, but but the other thing that comes up now, and there are visits from attorneys to discuss this, is you know, there's a whole set of workplace issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all started with the Friends lawsuit oh, yeah. from the writer's assistant, and there, you know, you can't be a bad person and be and sexually harass or you know, in the writer's room at work. But I, to me, that's just life. I mean, that's just common sense. I don't think that's particular to the profession other than that particular case where I guess there was this idea that because it's a comedy room, they should be able to go there. Mm -hmm. And this person was offended. So, Mm -hmm. um, but, but those are probably, I mean, I don't really consider those writing issues. It's more about don't be a, don't be a jackass. Yeah. Be nice. (laughs) It tends to be our, our uh, watchword here. Although there is something, I mean, we talk about and and you've worked on these shows the the intimacy of the writers' room where you are telling things from your home life whether it's everybody loves Raymond or Parenthood, you know the, you're pulling things from your life and that has to be a safe space. So yes, absolutely, be nice. But you know, there's a reason the WGA and the studios send people to talk to everyone about right. You know, well, legally that, being nice. That's a good point because you know. You want the room to be a place where people will give you, um, you know, their ideas and their stories. And a lot of those come from uh, their past. And so you want to encourage that. Every room I've been in, you know, the phrase that goes around is cone of silence, cone of silence. Mm-hmm. You know, and so sort of like what, you know, what's said in the room stays in the room. It's it's really about trust among your among your group of writers. So and if you get to if you have a good room in the right group, you know, you want people to feel um, uh, comfortable sharing their dark, deep secrets so you can mine them for profit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's why you've put together that room. Right, right, right. Use them up, leave them empty husks, send them to the next show. Yeah. I I was going to say, in terms of changing the subject, in terms Mm -hmm. of something writers should know, is when you're, if you're optioning, if you get someone to option your script, check them out. Because I think that people will sometimes, they go, they pitch their stuff, they go to one of those 
pitch fest or something and someone says, okay, I'll, I'll buy it or I'll option it. And, you know, check the person out. We, I mean, in the old days, someone said, I'm a producer and you really had to sort of trust them. But now we have this great thing, IMDb, where you can look up and see whether they're really a producer. And not only are they a producer, but can they get it done? Mm-hmm. So if if someone wants to option your script and it's a, you know, a a huge science fiction, you know, hundred million dollar movie and the person who wants it is done, you know, low budget indies under two million dollars, it's very unlikely that that person is going to be able to yeah. be the person to get that done. So you may don't jump at the first person, you know, have faith in your script and don't necessarily jump to the first guy who who, who says throws a puts a dollar in front of your face. That's mm-hmm. such good advice because it's a great feeling when somebody wants to write you a check, right? But that but I I think that's fantastic mm-hmm. advice. I mean, there is also when you are a writer starting out, you do a lot of work for free for people. Uh and mm-hmm. You know, how how do we cover ourselves in that situation? The, the only power, the real power you have is the power to say no. Mm-hmm. And, and and most, they don't, they're so, they they want to be done. I'm representing a, a client now. He's been, he's been working with a fairly big producer for two years for no money, rewriting and rewriting his, his spec script on a major historical figure. It'd be a big movie. And, and he finally, you know, I said, you know, maybe we should get an option agreement. Maybe we should have some paperwork. So I go, you know, what are they offering? And and this is a movie that you couldn't make for under $75 million. You just couldn't. And they go, okay, we'll we'll pay you $2,500 option against $40,000. I went, $40,000? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why is he working? It's like, it's like yeah. that, what do you think? I mean, it was just like eye-opening. We spent that in the first month. Yeah. Uh, and and presumably he's not guild because doesn't no, WGA, not guild. right no, WGA not guild. tends not. to cover that stuff right this is all for the, the guild people yeah. are sort of protected because right, although I know all guild people write for free even, I don't know if you do oh, but yeah. but they will do rewrites even you know because they don't want to be nature of things these days I feel like and it's unfortunate but <laughs> right well I think it's wasn't it's it one of the do. one of the things that guild was working on in this latest negotiation mm-hmm. was that exact issue can I ask a question I wish you would okay. Um, this is for you. Oh, great. Because I'm curious. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were going to ask me a because I've, <laughs> because I've been with the same uh, lawyer my whole career, I, I'm just curious. Do lawyers, do you, I guess I'll ask you, and maybe if you know generally, uh, sell, act sort of agent, agenty? I mean, I feel like whenever I'm talking to my lawyer, it's about a certain thing. But do you go out and say, hey, I've got a guy? It's a, a great question. Because I get that question every day. People call me and go, will you... I, I got a someone. A producer said they want my script, but I need an agent or or, or a lawyer to to submit mm-hmm. it. Will you submit it? I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I just I don't want to be an agent. I don't want to I don't want to do that. It's just not what I want to spend my time doing. So, are there lawyers who do it? There are. I couldn't name you them, but I know they exist. But it's not where I want to spend my time, and I'm sure probably. And there are. Right. You know. Uh, there are sometimes if I have a long relationship with the client and he says, look, can you just put it there? Then then I will. But I, when new people call me, I, I'm not their agent. They're looking for an agent. And I go, get an agent. And agents and lawyers do different things. And the good agent, especially you guys are with WME or CAA. And, and the, the, what's great about those big firms is they have this database mm-hmm. that no law firm has of what things are selling and how much they're getting and whatever, because they're representing everyone else. That, I mean, really, those the, the top three agencies are representing 
a, a huge percentage of all the writers and directors in town, so they know what everyone got. So when they're doing the negotiation for you, they know what what you should be getting compared to the other writers of your of your of your ilk. And so mm-hmm. I I'm very much in favor of having an agent on the deal as well as a lawyer. Sure. The lawyer's well, job is really to look right. At I mean, I just think that's good. I mean, it's important for writers starting out to know because I have come across writers starting out in in the past who have felt like oh I've got a lawyer I'm covered he's you know he or she is out there you know selling that's yeah. not what they're doing yeah. and, and you know, have to tell them so there is something though uh, just to interrupt a moment uh, when we talked about hiring that lawyer and putting together that team you know that lawyer is going to work with your agent and your manager and it was important to us to find a lawyer who was complimentary to them you know obviously we needed her to be a lawyer first and foremost do the contractual stuff and all that but you know she has relationships that our agent even at ICM doesn't necessarily have uh, and mm-hmm. if there was an opportunity for her to open a door that our agent couldn't open that that's valuable to us it, yeah right right and that certainly thing but the 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 main job of yeah. the lawyer is not no. To go out and be selling. Sell. They're not, yeah. they're not selling I, your... They're not looking for right, work right. for you. Right. If I have opportunities for my client that yeah. I can make an introduction, I'll certainly do that. But yeah. I don't spend my day to, doing that for them. Yeah. Um, what, what else should we as writers be aware of? What should we be looking for? Um, especially for new writers, you know, who, who are not entrenched <laughs> I, I get inextricably so, as a, we A lot are. of times people call me and they want, they want, they, they want to protect their title. And uh, the, the script, they have this title, and they go, I, yeah. I don't want anybody else to use it. And you should be aware that titles are not trademarkable mm-hmm. uh, until there's a series of movies. So a series of movies can be a trademark, but not, uh, but not a single title. So, mm-hmm. and, and also, the, you, what they don't know is that the, the studios maintain their own title database, so they don't poach on each other's titles. And you don't, that's, a, that's a private database mm-hmm. that... We don't see, and so even if you have a, even if you registered your title and tried to protect it, if this, if a studio had bought had got that title, no other studio will 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 use it. That's what happened with the Butler. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, recently, that even though it was Warner Brothers had a 1950 movie called The Butler, and Weinstein wanted to put out The Butler, and Warner Brothers said no right. that's not a trademark issue that's purely a mpaa mm-hmm. contractual issue that they agreed that they wouldn't they wouldn't do that but uh, but you can have multiple movies with the same title mm-hmm. as long as they're not studio movies mm-hmm. one thing that might be helpful uh for for uh particularly younger writers if you want to write about a historical figure is who is dead are you allowed to do that or mm-hmm. not yes well the great thing is that dead people cannot sue you uh, what about their their, uh, their, state, heirs, their state can't yeah. sue you for uh, uh, for libel mm-hmm. or uh, so the so you can you can write all sorts of stuff about dead people. Now <laughs> what you got to be careful is that if you're writing about a dead person and their spouse and their spouse is alive, you, then you still got to get those rights. Mm-hmm. So you either got to I mean you got to go back far enough or. or Change it, but you don't always need. It's not always necessary to get everyone's rights. Really interesting when they made the movie The Runaways, they had Joan Jett's rights and they had Sherry Curry's rights, and they had one of the other members. But the two, the drummer and the bass player, they went, "We're not going to get your rights," and uh, they just had them there. And and the bass player is now a lawyer and threatened the lawsuit, and they went, 
we don't need your rights. And and they were right. They She's a public figure in that sense. They weren't oh, okay. defaming her. They weren't showing her. And they just kept her in the background. They didn't really show her doing anything mm-hmm. uh, untoward. And so there are ways to write movies about real people not getting everyone's rights. You don't mm-hmm. always necessarily mm-hmm. have to get everyone's rights. But that's where you should really talk to a lawyer if you're when you're writing and going what you know i mean it's not a bad idea to conference a lawyer and you know buy an hour of his time and go what can i do and then you'll mm-hmm. you know where can i go and what what who do i whose rights do i need and mm-hmm. whose rights do i not need again great advice because you don't want to be six months into something and some <laughs> friend of yours who's an attorney reads it and goes dude what are you doing yeah <laughs> do you exactly. have these rights you know uh, so, how do you how do you recommend? I mean, a lot of our listeners are not necessarily in Los Angeles, may not have someone to ask to find an attorney to you know ask these questions. How how can can you recommend a way for people to find a reputable attorney, uh, even if it is just to sit down for a couple besides of hours? Besides me, besides <laughs> you, uh, we'll, you'll hang a shingle on the studio, and people can come see you. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I mean, the people when people write want to call me from out of town, and I don't know. I always think of it as like when someone says, "I want to be a coal miner, but I want to live in Arizona." It ain't gonna work. <laughs> you, you want to be a writer? There's you really you really should be here or New York, maybe Chicago. Mm-hmm. You can write. I, I write. It's, I mean, Dana's done. <laughs> no, I, I sent my first script uh, to a producer out here when I was living in Tennessee, yeah. and essentially what he told me was, "Don't quit your day job." You know. I, <laughs> He, because he 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 wasn't taking me seriously, you know. I I I tell that to this is a little bit off topic, but I tell when I'm talking to young writers all the time. It's like you know, if you want to be in television in particular, you know, where, are you living here? And if it's no, it's like well, that's kind of step one. Yeah, right. Are there TV writers who don't live in, in LA or New York? Um, only really successful ones. Exactly. Doesn't David Kelly live in in San Francisco and, and there emails few, the scripts or something? There's few or in like handwriting too. Who, I don't know if that's yeah. true, by the way. But I've, I, yeah, I, you you would have to be here or New York, you yeah. know? Right, right. But when you're starting out, if you want to be a writer. Yeah. This you got to be where the jobs are. Right. And you got to meet people, yeah. right? This is... That's enormous. I tell, I, mean, I, I tell, right, it is about meeting people and, and knowing people. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Going to events, coming to the Nerdist uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcast live, and mm-hmm. uh, you can talk to a lot of writers. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> a lot of them. Um, but, but, you know, that said, that's a big move. And if someone is, you know, getting their material together and and we we generally say on this podcast you know get get your stuff together you can do that from anywhere you can write from anywhere yeah but and so when you want to hit the ground running when you move to la and it's going to take some time but still like if you want to finish college or whatever it is and write your spec scripts but if people do have these law questions um is is there a way i mean i know you can kind of poke around online but yeah, I mean, I it's the, the I mean, I, I don't know because does Martindale Hubble still exist? I'm dating myself. It does. It does. <laughs> Online. It was when I was back in the day. It was a big thick book that had all the lawyers in it, and you could go by practice right. areas. So you could go to the entertainment law section. Hmm. And but certainly there are so many resources for writers now because of the That's internet. Right. That there's, I mean, if you're writing, it, it, you should at least. Get, I mean, right? I mean, you should be in a group if you live in Tennessee, right? Find other people and write with them or meet with them yeah. and read your, have them read your stuff and, and talk and network and, and figure out what's working and be a community. I think that you have to. And there's so many 
screenwriting festivals now mm-hmm. all over the country that are a great place to do that. I went to one in Nashville, which is sort of how I got my start. Um, and I know they're all over the country now, all kinds of festivals. The ATX Television Festival, for example, that Mr. Blacker will be moderating again. Sure will. Um, you're going to be there, right? Austin. I am. Fantastic. I am. So you're right. I mean, there's plenty of uh, of networking opportunities outside of L.A. But, again, I feel like if you're going to be serious about being in the business, especially television, yeah. um, you know, come on out. By the way, the weather doesn't suck, so, <laughs> you know. And, and, right, and you need, you, I would say you really want an agent before a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do you need a lawyer before you, you get Usually you it's easier to find a lawyer, though, than it is to find well, an agent. Well, because we're horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, agencies can be impenetrable for a new writer. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are these monoliths, and you can find a smaller one, and maybe that's a way in, but that's also not going to give you the access that you need that, you know, uh, one of the bigger agencies is going to give you. So, you know, it, there's no one path. And that's that's the thing we always talk about here. It's tough. And, uh, and you know, I, I, but it's great. You know, you have the opportunity to do things to, to you know, you like you've started the Thrilling Adventure Hour and you do your own thing. And, and there's so many people out there doing their own thing and putting it up on YouTube and you can get yourself out known you got to just do it. You you know, don't sit and you got to write, right? I mean, mm-hmm. writer writes, but you got to right. and meet people and and it's a job. It's a it's a it's a job. You got to be doing it and think of it as a job. It's not yeah. a lottery where I write a script and then I I sell it and then I make a million dollars. That doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. Until it does and then you get really mad. <laughs> right. Let's uh, uh unless you you have some more pressing uh stuff that we need to know about. You said you, said you had speeches. I, I can go well. I can we can go into vast detail about. Uh, I don't know. We covered the all right. Eyebrows. We covered the basics. Yeah. Good. Um, again, you know, I, I was glad to have you here because I don't know what to ask, and I think a lot of writers, you know, we're we're so busy trying to get the work or producing the work that doing the business part becomes really. Difficult. Okay, I have something to talk about because someone asked me. They said that. They want they want to do someone about a life story, and, they, and, and uh, someone uh, they want to do a script about someone who was living, and they were told to get the rights, and they didn't understand what that meant. And so, I know you can go and call people. If you want to do a, a story about somebody mm-hmm. who's living, you can call them and go. I'd like to write a script about you. Can, can I acquire your life rights and, and 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 option those? And you can you can do that. And and you know, there's. It's too much for me to talk about here, but I mean, there's certainly resources, books out there, and uh, where you can find uh, form agreements that will will get them, and and so you can get those life rights and, mm-hmm. and to write about those uh, those people. It's not impenetrable if you can if you can sell them that you're the person to 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 write them uh, to write us mm-hmm. to write a script about. And I know lots of writers who have who have done that. Um, uh, I have sort of a practical question along those lines, which is, how do I find out uh, who or what entity owns the rights to a piece of existing material, a book or whatever? Is there an easy way to do that? Well, a book, you know, I'd call the publisher because usually the publisher mm-hmm. will control the rights or, or have the ability to, yeah. to sell the rights to you. So... Um, Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is a slog. I'm 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 dealing with that now for a client who, the rights for a movie that 
the company went bankrupt, and then now we're yeah. trying to trace it, chase it down, and it's 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 a really a struggle. Right. So there's no there's good. no easy way. Can someone start a database? Someone out there, just like an there's IMDb. Well, there for is something. I, I you know, if you have an agent, call your agent. Your agent yeah. can find out. Um, but, but I don't know how they do that. Maybe they just yeah. make the call that that you're not making. It might uh, be. You know. Yeah. But usually, if you're talking about movies, you know. The studios are not going to give you right. the right to remake one of their movies. So if you want to, if you want to remake an old movie, mm-hmm. if it's a non-studio movie, you might be able to track it down. Yeah. But people sometimes, go, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to redo Halloween or something. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> well, the other thing that I've seen happening lately is a lot of writers, and again, it goes back to this idea that IP is so hot, um, starting out in a different medium. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I have this idea. I'm not sure if it's a TV show. I'm not sure if it's a film. I'm not sure if it's a video. I don't know what, it, you know. And they'll write an article, uh, you know, a, a blog about it, or mm-hmm. they'll put a, they'll get a piece on HuffPost mm-hmm. about it, or, or something. A comic so book or something. Or there you go, yeah. a comic book, and and so that's another way to sort of approach it. But and you know, the other thing that I always do, and it did especially a lot earlier on, was read as much as you can in terms of articles. That's I mean, there are there are people at the agencies doing that. You know, whose job is specifically to read Texas Monthly each month and look for the articles that they then option. Um, so that's a great way to sort of um, get ideas that you should not steal yet, but you should, you know, it's a great way to sort of see what's out there. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, it's an interesting question because really, you know, true stories are not, the facts themselves are not right. uh, protectable. So if someone writes an article about something that happened, there's nothing to stop you from also making a a movie about that. Well, that's a great. Okay, can I can I follow up on that? Because yeah. um, I'm involved in a situation right now where I'm being pitched an idea that is based on a couple of articles, and I read the articles and they were interesting, and I think it's a great idea. But I sort of had the similar reaction. It's like these people have written about it, but why do I need them? I mean, now that I know about, do I? Well, from a legal the, the fact that if they came to you, and this is where we get into idea misappropriation, which is different than copyright infringement, mm-hmm. which is if they came to you and pitched you and said, we, under circumstances where if you said, yeah, I like it, I will buy it, and then you just say, well, I'm going to take that idea and not pay you for it, that would be idea misappropriation, which is sort of a, a, a quasi breach of contract. They came, if they said, mm-hmm. we're going to come to you, David, and if you like it, you're going to pay us for it, and then you go, "Well, I'm not paying for you." What about if? Okay, what about? Okay, let's just let's just use a hypothetical. Uh, there's a magic clown, and somebody writes an article about a magic clown, and they bring it to the writer, and they say, "Hey, look at this article about a magic clown. We think it'd be a great show." And the writer says, "Ah, I'm not really into magic clowns, but thanks anyway." Mm-hmm. And then six months later, he sells a magic clown show. Yeah, I mean that's what you're talking about, yeah. right? In other words. You've taken the, you wouldn't have otherwise known about that idea had they not brought it to you, and then taking it and not doing it with them is actionable. I would assume. In theory, it's actionable. I mean, the the case that 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 started this case called Disney versus Wilder, which is the lawsuit against Billy Wilder, and the guy pitched was was basically the Floyd Collins story, a guy in a well, right? It, was, it became the movie <laughs> Ace in the Hole, yeah. and the court said he pitched it to him and. They used it, and they didn't pay him, and they should have paid him. So the question is, were the circumstances such that if you use the idea, they would be compensated? Now, how much they should be compensated is a really right. open question. Uh, because, okay, you're, all you're giving me is Magic Clown, and I'm taking it from there. Well, that's not worth a million dollars. So 
sometimes right. it's better to, but if you're going to say. If yours becomes, you know, Magic Clown and Turner and Hooch or something, if it's different mm-hmm. than, than the original. But, but you know, that, that, isn't that why, maybe this is something that, that might be interesting to people. Isn't that why a lot of people will not let you submit to them without a release? I mean, I know a lot of younger writers get very frustrated by that, that people won't talk to me. They say, I can't talk to you. We refuse submissions. Or they want me to sign some release. I don't know what it all means. But it's because of this scenario, right? It's precisely that, because they get, you know, first of all, ideas just sort of come in the zeitgeist, right? So something happens and everybody goes, oh, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's do... Uh, oh, I, I met uh, I met somebody on Tinder, and and mm-hmm. then and then they they're a mass killer, right? Right. So that's well. How many shows do you think are being pitched today about a kid who gets into a wheel well of a flight that goes five hours? You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So and or, everybody or thinks films. everybody thinks I'm the only one. So right, they go. Right. That's why you need that release, really, to stop this sort of claim that because people think they're the only ones, and really they're one of. Uh, uh, usually, mm-hmm. there's not many ideas that. Ten other guys haven't thought of, mm-hmm. and some, some variation. Yeah, and we also, I mean, with Twitter being a, a way for fans to interact with creators, I think that creators do need to cover themselves as well. We've seen a lot of our friends, and and Acker and I say this too: is you can't you can't pitch us stories on our material <laughs> on Twitter because maybe we were already thinking of it, or maybe you know it'll come way down the line, but. We need this to be. We need this to be made up of our ideas, right? You know? um, thank you guys for being Why here. Why don't we do a show where people <laughs> do pitch you on Twitter, and that's the show? Every, it's like short attention. Wait, I was just going to pitch him that <laughs> idea. <laughs> that would be a great way I to love do it. it. It's like, all right, what's next week's episode? People tweet. We've got a troop of actors <laughs> ready to go. It's an anthology. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we end as we always do by uh, asking what you are watching on television these days, or in films, or what are you reading that's getting you excited, inspired? What are you talking about with your rooms, with your spouses, with your friends? Uh, what's going on, <laughs> David? You want me to start? Yeah. Um, I love Turn on AMC. Really gotten into that show. I thought the pilot was fantastic. Uh, I think the third episode just aired um, that we watched the other night. I just think it's. So well done, so beautifully shot, and I'm into the story. I, I like history, and any time a show like that makes it all the way to the air, I get excited, <laughs> um, you know, for for that. So turn, you know, the last season of Mad Men, of course, we're watching. Um, we watch, Actually, we, we watch a lot of – I have four boys. We watch a lot of uh, – Random stuff. Friday Night Tykes is a current favorite of my kids. Uh, It's basically Friday Night Lights, but about um, eight-year-old kids playing football in Texas. It's reality. It's it's pretty funny. Um, And we and we love Survivor. I'm a huge Survivor fan. I have never missed an episode of that show. And what are they on season twenty-four? Something like that. Um, So there you go. I'm also excited for twenty-four for the new twenty-four, which should be interesting. I think should be interesting. Larry, yeah. what are you what are you watching? Uh, Mad Men, of course, and uh, it's still and good. Game right? of Thrones, and and I I loved the Fargo. Uh, saw oh, I should have mentioned Fargo's week. genius. Yeah. It was really uh, like a like had the movie and then sort of twisted the plot. Yeah. and in a really great way, and, uh, and I thought that was good. And it uh, has. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine recently about Fargo, which it has. My favorite show is Justified. And Fargo is doing what Justified is doing in that every minor character is a character and could have his own spinoff mm-hmm. and has some little thing going on, which, why doesn't every show do this? Like, this is how you create worlds. Yeah. 
And I love the Americans. Americans great, yeah. Really yes, fun. I love that show too. Yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting point about because I feel like Justified and Fargo are similar in that the villain characters in both. I mean, was it Walton Goggins mm-hmm. season one? I just, I mean, that guy. I don't think they had plans for him to be no. as big of a character as, and he was just so good. Yeah, I mean, and, it's the um, actor plus the right. the depth of the character that they create. Right. And the, the relationship between the, the well, two yeah. is fantastic. Yes. Um, but yeah, Fargo I can't recommend enough, too. I, yeah. I really dug that pilot. Uh, cool. Thank you, guys. Much obliged. Thank, Thank you. you for I having me. I think we all learned something. Good. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. 